Welcome to Broad Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we learn this. I am the Alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. What the Lord is saying here is, I am the beginning. And I am the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, meaning I exist. I am the one who was. I have always existed, and there never was a time when I didn't exist. And the one who is to come again. I will keep on existing forever, and I will come again. The second coming of Christ is coming to a theater near you sometime soon. When? Don't have the slightest idea. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 said, It is not for us to know the times and the epochs which God the Father has set by his own authority. I am the one with all the power, divine omnipotence. What a powerful statement by the God who is the God of the universe. How many times and how many ways must the Lord Jesus Christ tell you that he is the one and only God before you believe it? And what does he need to do to encourage you to share this indisputable fact with your friends and family? They need a relationship with the one and only sovereign God of the universe, and you know that he exists. You need to be sharing that with them. Why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. It's a good thing we learn about the Lord from his perspective according to Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 where the Lord says this, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And one of the things I see Christians do continually is try to dumb God down so that they can understand him. You cannot dumb down the infinite. So you can't dumb God down. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, which introduces them to the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation offer. The Lord's arms are wide open to the unbelieving ones. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you unbelievers may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, 
the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in Him, you may have the resurrection life, eternal life, in His name. To unbelievers, the Lord says, I want you. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well, for those who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. In His prayer on the night before He was crucified, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to His Father in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, Sanctify them. Set apart believers in Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word, Father, is truth. The Word of God is a personal love letter to the human race. In His Word, the Lord says to believers in Christ in very many ways, I've got you. So why bother studying the Word of God? We study the Word of God to allow God's truth to shape our reality instead of letting the world's lies shape our reality. I was at the uh, ASU football game yesterday down on the field, and one of the coaches for Washington State was talking to me and he was talking about how, how much he hated the whole mask thing and how he didn't want to wear one and he wasn't wearing one. And it was really interesting. So one of the guys who was a photographer on the field who was wearing a mask came up and says, you know, I don't, I don't understand why he's saying that. All right, so this conversation was between me and him, man. Like, why are you butting into it? Why are you minding somebody else's business other than your own? And he said, yeah, you're wearing that mask to protect me. I had on a mask. And I'm wearing this mask to protect you. Yeah, okay. That's what we think. That's what human beings think. We think we're significant. We think we're protecting each other. That's what the media is telling us. And so we just readily adopt it, and we're protecting each other. Okay. Well, I understand what's gone on in the media about COVID, and I'm not making light of it. I have friends who have died allegedly with COVID, and I've had a lot of friends who have gotten COVID, and from what I understand, it's horrible, so I'm not making light of it. But the other thing is, simultaneously, we have to hold the thought in our head that the news media is always shaping our reality, and if you don't use the Word of God to counteract that shaping, that will be your mentality. That's why we study the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says to his pastoral protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, From childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings. Timothy was raised by women, and they had him in the Word, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, the faith which is placed in Christ Jesus. We study the Word of God to help us realize that the real reason we are on the earth involves spiritual things, not the things that we busy ourselves with. Well, who is God's enemy? God's enemy is Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his rulership of this world at a future time. He is not worthy of ruling anything, much less the world. Satan only wants a part of us, our will. He deceives us. He causes us to suffer. 
Yet neither of these things is nearly as bad as how he convinces us to let him influence our will. And we lose sight of that as Christians. We lose sight of the fact that Satan is always after influencing our will. He does it from the outside with the world system of thought. He does it from inside with the flesh, that part of you that is always talking to you and telling you how lousy you are, that part of you that hates God, that hates you, and looks to destroy everything that's important to you. That's when his insidious methods, when he is allowed to influence our will, his insidious insidious methods of destruction, designed to corrode our spiritual lives and ruin everything precious to us, is most powerful against us. One of the things you should do sometimes is take out a piece of paper and just write down all the ways that you've seen Satan ruin things that were important to you. Because I, I've got a list, and it's funny, uh, you, if you sit down and do this in the quiet of a day, you'll find out he does it too. We permit him to destroy us. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the remedy against Satan. He says, you shall love the Lord your God unconditionally with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All is not some. Do not give the devil a single opportunity. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Today's Bible lesson, some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Well, you have no right to judge anyone else's life. And for one reason, you're not good enough to do it. You're not even good enough to judge your own life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme judge of the universe, and he proposes not to evaluate our lives until the end of our days. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the evaluation. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, the Lord gives us a suggestion in the matter of judging others. He asks, Why do you look at the speck? that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye with a log in your own eye? Matthew 7, 5. You hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? Somebody who's talking from behind a mask. A phony. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, if you're going to judge somebody else, you better be looking at yourself too. And, and first, but that's not what we do, is it? Because it's convenient. We have 12 defense mechanisms that keep us out of touch with the reality. And it's much more convenient to ignore our flaws and to see the flaws of others. This is why people hate church. People. This is why people would prefer to stay home from church. People. It's not God. People turn a church into a cesspool with their judging. Today's lesson sheds light on the three lifestyles that are available to live. The sin lifestyle, the law lifestyle, and the freedom life so that we can gain perspective on the life God is offering to his believers. All right, so let's 
here's some music. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, the Apostle John addresses false teachers and false teaching in his church. And it's appropriate because that's what Colossians addresses in chapter 2. False teachers and false teaching. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, This is the message we have heard directly from the Lord, This John, the we is John talking about himself and all the other apostles. This is the message we have heard directly from the Lord and we announce to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1 verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with God the Father. Third class condition if, maybe you do, maybe you don't, you have a choice. If we say that we have fellowship with God the Father, yet we walk in the darkness, Living the lifestyle of the unbeliever, we are liars and do not practice the truth. John was talking about the Gnostics who were infiltrating his church and bringing their false teaching from false teachers into that church. And they were saying that they walked in the light, but they were unbelievers. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as believers in Christ, As God the Father himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God the Father and with one another as well. And the blood of Jesus, God the Father's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin, both right now and in the future. There is only one solution for sin, and that is the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took care of every sin every creature would ever commit, past, present, and future, at the cross. They were credited to his account and judged. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if the people in our life did the same thing. Wouldn't it be nice if the people in our life just looked at us and understood that we have no sin as part of us. When we commit personal sins, it's the flesh doing it. It is not us, according to Romans chapter 7. According to Paul, who was a Pharisee who tried his best to stop sinning and who tried his best to stop breaking the law and was not successful with it. Isn't that interesting? So many Christians lose touch with spiritual realities as their lives and their minds are diverted to the insidious world system's thoughts. Well, here's June Murphy to sing a song from her first ever collection of songs, Walk in the Light. Sinless life, but we're always in his presence. 
never leave his light. The Father, Son, and Spirit will always have our backs. We are filled with the Spirit, ever filled with the Spirit, and his power we will not lack. To say that we have no sin, to say we'll never sin again, we say that our God lies. But we can choose not to sin, though tempted time and again, my amazing grace, we realize unbelievers can't see in the dark they will be their children of the night. But they can choose to believe then in the light they will see, they'll see life through God's eyes. To know God is light, His plan is perfect and right, and He has chosen me to walk in the light as He is in the light, so Christ can live in me. To know I'm dead to sin, consider this within as absolutely true, and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in life anew. Walk in the light as he is in the light. We know he forgave our sins, and with God it's always light. that didn't you that was awesome let us pray we're grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father i'm grateful for the opportunity to be rejected in service of you and i'm happy to bear my soul to the believing ones you have given me to serve and teach to show them my humanity and to provide them with the chance to know that you do not see us as we see ourselves, nor do you see us as they choose to see us. I thank you for the life of freedom you have provided so that each of us can build a relationship with you in our own unique way and at our own pace, so that each of us, after getting to know you, can become comfortable in our own skin because we know you fully accept who we are and who we are not. And today we pray for those who do not know you, both your believers and unbelievers. And we intercede for those who don't believe a word you say, for those who derive their righteousness from sin and the law, rather than accepting the righteousness that comes through faith in you. Open their spiritual eyes to your truth. Let them see their own flaws first, before they look at and critique the flaws of others. And let them be comfortable with their own flaws, just like you are. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Raise your hands and say it with me. Today, by, today's Bible lesson, some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Creating a prayer life is a wonderful thing. Much of this year has been spent implementing this fundamental part of being a Christian, and I think that I should get massive credit and a sticker from my refrigerator for implementing that 
60, 58 years into being a Christian. Amen? All right, so I will be accepting the stickers right after the lesson. I credit Stevie Wonder for planting the bug in me 45 years ago with his song, Talk With God. He said, when you feel your life's too hard, just go have a talk with God. When your load's too much to bear, just go talk to God. He cares. I credit the Barah Ministries Prayer Circle with igniting the desire to finally do something about my desire to have a prayer life. Thank you, Denise Jones. I would have been, it would have been easier to just listen to God, though. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I've been knocking on Christian minds for 22 years, and some of them just refuse to open. Amen? The events of the last month within Barah Ministries have me asking and seeking and knocking for sure. In fact, I'm certain that in the last month, the human drama that we're experiencing within the ministry has people listening to the lessons with an intensity that ought to be reserved for the drama-free times. As a matter of fact, I've been getting a lot of calls from my pagan friends wondering what's going on. You're being attacked on social media. What's going on? What's happening? Yeah, exactly what you think is happening. That's what's happening. But they want to engage the drama. I don't. These are the things that make me sick in my stomach. These are the things that make me not want to come and teach. It's the people stuff. I love the Lord and I love the word. And I love prayer and I love teaching. But I don't love dealing with the people stuff. I don't. I know it's part of it. I know I have to do it. But I hate it. It makes me sick in my stomach. It makes me dread getting up. Dread driving over. Gives me pain in my neck and in my back and in my chest and my breathing is tight and all that stuff that I am happy to just get a break from at a point. Anyway, my prayer sessions are an appointment with God. They have a start time, they have an end time, and they are scheduled on my calendar. When I go to those prayer sessions, I have a Bible. My phone for fast lookup of Bible verses, although that's a problem because you know that the phone is bleeding at you. I have to figure out a different way to do that because I don't like it that the phone is bleeding at me. Uh, or you think of different things that you should be doing and then you drift off to those. A notepad and a pen to capture my thoughts and a chair for God to sit in that remains empty and a chair for me to sit in which remains quite full. Now God doesn't need the chair. He is omnipresent. He is indwelling me. In fact, the entire Trinity, the entire triune Godhead is indwelling me. And they are with me wherever I go, so the chair is mostly symbolic to remind me of his presence. Last Monday in our prayer appointment, God didn't have much to say, nor did I. It was just pain that racked my brain, and the session was spent dumping the pain onto paper. I assure you that is quite therapeutic if you have never tried it. Tuesday, God was quite chatty. The first thought he gave me when I woke up was this one. Sooner or later, God exposes to us and to the world the game we are playing, the lifestyle we are running, and there are only three games. I certainly didn't know what God meant by this thought but it was an intriguing start to a thought, an insightful hour of reflection. 
it was amazing it was an amazing tour of the bible and if i shared all of that with you it would take the remaining five lessons that we have this year it was absolutely mind-boggling how many verses over and over he brought to my attention so i'll share some of those with you today and especially because it ties perfectly to the lesson we are learning from our study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And I told you that this letter has tentacles, and it reaches into all areas of the Bible. It's an amazing four chapters that just reach into every area of the Bible and and bring us things that uh, come from all over the place. And one of the things I'm looking forward to on my sabbatical is having the time to study one verse of this letter for a whole week. Because the commentators that I study with have, every verse has about a hundred verses that I could look up to see where these tentacles reach. And it, it paints an amazing picture that frankly I just don't have time to get to in the normal course of things. And that's what's great about a sabbatical, because you have all kind of time for stuff that you don't normally have time for. So we continue our study of the Apostle Paul's letter with the next two verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Two verses that say a lot of stuff. Here's what it says, For God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness. When we are unbelievers, we live in the domain of darkness. We don't do what June was suggesting in the song. We don't walk in the light. We walk in the darkness. Why? Because we're spiritually dead from the moment of physical birth. And so God the Father rescued us believers in Christ, those who have decided that we no longer want to be a part of that kingdom of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of the Son, whom the Father loves, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've heard it said a lot of times, I need to redeem myself. You can't, but God did. He purchased you from slavery to sin and from slavery to the law because both of those lifestyles do not work, cannot work, won't ever work. Now, as believers in Christ, we've already been transferred out of the darkness and into the light. But most of us love going back to the darkness. We don't live there anymore. We don't belong there. But we love going back to the darkness. We love consorting with the darkness. I certainly didn't know what God meant by this thought, but it was an intriguing thing for me to investigate. And so when we are new believers in Christ, the Apostle Paul describes us this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. And if you don't know, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, is Paul giving a spanking to the region of Galatia, uh, a series of churches that he opened on his missionary journey, who as soon as he got out of town, went right back to the legalism that they came out of. So here is Paul talking to them. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, he said, while we were children, as spiritually immature believers, we were held in bondage. What is bondage? Slavery, handcuffs, under the elemental things of the world. What does he mean? Under the world system of thought. Just like people are today, 
held in bondage under the elemental things of the world by listening to the news. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be killed. You're going to have your house broken into. You're going to have your house catch on fire. You're going to be, all your money's going to be taken away. You're not going to have enough money to retire. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. It's all fear-mongering. All of it. <coughs> the elemental things of the world. See, these things we're talking about in the Bible, these didn't just happen to the people in first century Galatia. These things are still happening to us today. Why? Because the ruler of this world, Satan, is a tyrant. He doesn't know how to rule. He doesn't have the slightest idea how to rule a free people. So all he can do is take away our freedom. And believe me, when somebody takes away your freedom, they're not at all interested in getting, giving it back to you. And all of you are suckers because I guarantee you, you're saying, oh, it's getting better. It's getting better. We're getting to take our mask off. It's getting better. You wait. You wait. You watch. Why do you need a booster shot? Think about that. When did we ever need a booster shot? Shush you. It's not unusual for a new believer not to understand the Christian lifestyle. Unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. That's a freak lifestyle. If you love people unconditionally, if you forgive them totally, and if you give them grace, when, you, when they make mistakes, you're a freak. Do you understand that? Do you understand that when you signed up for the Christian way of life, you became a freak? Nobody understands you. They don't. They want to tell you, they want to drag you to their sorry lifestyle. Conditionality, unforgiveness, and you'll pay. Freaks. Every week I got to come and teach a bunch of freaks. The unconditional, <laughs> the unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace lifestyle is a mind-blowing idea because many new believers come from religious backgrounds where they learn that God is a punishing God who is out to get them. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 speaks to us as new Christians. It says, as a believer in Christ, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, and of course you are, first class condition, if in the Greek, then you are an heir as well through God the Father. All right, so if you're a son, if you're an heir which means you have an inheritance coming, if you are the child of a king, then you need to start acting like it. But do you? We don't. And is anybody bothered by the fact that you don't? No. Nobody's bothered by the fact that you don't because, you know, think about the royals in Britain. When those kids are born, they're royal. But they don't know what it means to be royal. They have to be taught. You have to be taught, too. So... That's what's happening. God is teaching us. As God the Holy Spirit advances us towards spiritual maturity through the study of the Word of God, our viewpoint concerning the Christian way of living 
especially unconditional love, changes considerably. Yet there are some Christians who didn't read God's memo. There are some Christians who do not have unconditional love for others. They have conditional love for others, which is, I like you as long as you fit my sorry set of standards. And you know, one of the things that is hard to do as a human being is to recognize for yourself that you don't fit everybody's sorry set of standards. Why don't we? Because we want to fit in. And we think that we can fit in all the time. I'm not the pastor for everybody. Believe me. I'm only the pastor for about 20 people, maybe. That's what I have. I have about 20 people. So maybe I'm just the pastor for 20 people. And maybe God cares that much about those 20 people by giving them a pastor who's the perfect fit for them. But maybe you're not a fit for other pastors. Maybe you're not a fit for everybody. Maybe you're not a fit for every friend, every false friend who lies to your face, who you ask to tell you the truth and who lies to your face and then goes behind your back. Maybe you're not a fit for a friend like that. I know I'm not. I don't like indirectness. Not even remotely. I don't understand it. I don't want to interpret it. I've spent most of my life interpreting it. My mom was indirect. One of my wives was indirect. I hate indirectness. Hate it. Don't want to interpret. I am not a tea leaf reader. I don't understand. If you want A, ask for A. Don't want A and ask me for B and C and expect me to know what you're talking about. I don't. I don't understand the language. I don't. So I'm not perfect for everybody as a pastor because I'm direct. And I'm direct on steroids. I would not be a good pastor in Japan. Japan is an indirect culture. They don't like directness at all. I would be a perfect pastor in Germany. Germans are direct. They love directness. I love Germans. Amen? I don't work real well in Mexico. Mexico is an indirect culture. I can't even get along with my son the half-Mexican, with his indirectness. Can't even get along with him. (laughs) (laughs) The Christian way of living is a lifestyle of faith in God, hope for self, absolute confidence in yourself as a result of having the faith in God, and unconditional love toward others. God's love for us is unconditional, which means no conditions. We don't have to work to please him. In fact, we can't work to please him. He's already pleased, so you don't have to work to please him. He loves us just the way we are. And God does not expect any of us to be perfect, mainly because we're imperfect. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to say it again. God doesn't expect any of us to be perfect, mainly because he knows that we are imperfect. Amen? So stop being phony. Stop trying to act like your lifestyle is so special. It isn't. It is imperfect. It is not how you see it in your brain. It's imperfect. And 
when somebody on the outside is looking at your lifestyle, they see the flaws. That's the one thing that is so funny to me about consulting and being a consultant. When I go into a company, I see their flaws. You know why? Because they're transparent. Now, I've been a consultant for four decades, and I've worked with over 250 companies in 30 countries. I've seen a few things, and I can spot the flaws instantly. And as a matter of fact, God gifted me with the ability to see the flaws. There are some times when I let my guard down around people just to get them to let their guard down around me so that I can see their flaws. I'm not interested in judging their flaws. I'm interested in helping them surface their flaws so that they can get around them. And their flaws are the little box that they've created for themselves that they've trapped themselves in. And what I want to find out is how they've trapped themselves, and I want to open the box so they can get out of the prison. And it's so funny watching the slaves break out of the prison. Because what do you think a slave wants to do as soon as they break out of prison? They want to go back. <laughs> they want to go back. They want to go back where they were comfortable. And I don't want that for people. I don't like that for people. But it's not my life. So it's just perplexing to me when people who have studied the Word of God in this ministry for nearly a decade don't understand this basic which has been taught consistently over and over and over again from this pulpit for at least the last five years. Now most of you in the resident congregation moved here or tuned in here a decade ago to study with a man you knew was imperfect because 10 years ago I was an asshole. And I'm not saying I'm not today, but I'm saying I was a much bigger asshole 10 years ago than I am today. And if you don't believe it, ask any of the people who know me. Amen? Amen. Yeah, June's over here shaking her head like a bobblehead. It's like, is this bobblehead day in Barat Ministries? I didn't know, but she's just shaking her head. Well, why is she shaking her head? Because she knows you were, you flocked to a divorced man who was estranged from his kids, who was teaching the lies of systematic theology from this pulpit. You flocked to that man. And over the last 10 years, you've watched this man choose to learn from evolving, a man with the courage to admit that he's wrong, who would stand in front of you and tell you he was lying about God. Because that's what I did. And there are... I, I will give you a list of 20 pastors that I know that would not do that in a million years because they would have to throw out everything they've ever written. And the one constant for the last 10 years has been this man's imperfection, me. And I've kept telling you about it. Now, what changed over the last decade, and thank God it changed, was the truth that was coming from this pulpit. Bible passage after Bible passage after Bible passage. Flooding your mind with the truth of the Word of God. Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. You come to Barah Ministries, within 30 seconds you're going to get a Bible verse. 
And I, I look at pastors around. I look at their lessons, and they talk and talk and talk and talk, and all I can say is, is there a Bible verse anywhere in our future? Because I don't care about your opinion. Could you please just tell me what God is saying? Because I don't care about your opinion, even if what they're saying is accurate. And a lot of them are saying accurate stuff, but I'd rather hear it in God's words than theirs. But there are a lot of people who like pandering to human beings. I don't. You adjust to God. He doesn't have to adjust to you. And I'm not going to ask him to adjust to you, which makes me not for everybody. Well, you changed as well over the last 10 years. Bobblehead. <laughs> I could hear it. I can hear it in the way you handle your life's problems with the truth. I can hear your thought process, both in the prayer circle and in private conversations. The truth is affecting you. Yet the one constant about all of you with whom I interact in Broad Ministries has been your imperfection. From the moment I met you, I knew you were imperfect, and I haven't seen anything change in that matter in all the days that I've known you. Amen? You're not perfect. And you know what? I know what your imperfections are. And you know how I feel about it? I don't care. It's none of my business. None. I don't care. I'm not holding it against you. But don't think I don't know what it is. You've told me. So, your imperfections don't bother me a bit. So imagine my confusion then. When my human imperfections become the basis for disruption of our studies, become the basis for people leaving the congregation. Oh, I don't like pastor's sin nature. Oh, I don't like pastor's personal life. Okay. Well, I would think you would have enough experience with the daily conversations of your flesh as it castigates you to know that mine is castigating me as well. And evidently, you don't have the same battle going on inside of you that I do. Evidently, you're perfect, and I'm the only one with the problem. I accept this. I took my confusion about this, however, to my God in prayer. That's one of the things I love about being attacked. Whenever I'm attacked, I run like a little five-year-old crybaby to my God. Have you ever been in Target, and you say something to a little kid, and the kid immediately runs over and grabs their parent's leg? That's me. Every time I get hurt, Every time somebody attacks me, every time somebody hurts my feelings, I run over and grab daddy's legs. Amen? And I shout, Abba! Father! Help! And I go into the word of God. And the calm is instant. I don't wait for a human being to call me and make me feel better. I go right to the word. And God talks to me through thoughts. And through his word, and he calms me down. And he, and, you know, at this point in my life, when I've been studying the word of God for 40 years, he takes me on a tour that I have to say, okay, enough, stop, please, stop, stop. But I can't stop thinking about the word. I just can't stop thinking about it. So I took my confusion to God in prayer, and this lesson is a glimpse into what he taught. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 of the things that he brought to my mind. He said, God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness. He said, Rory, you're no longer in the domain of darkness. You're no longer of the kingdom of darkness. He transferred you to the kingdom of the Son with whom the Father loves, the Lord Jesus, the one you love too. Colossians 1.14, the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, in whom we have redemption. What is that? The purchase from the slave market of sin. I am no longer a victim of my sins, nor are you. You have been purchased with a price, the precious blood of the sovereign God of the universe who came, God the Son, in human form, to live a perfect life and to go to a cross to pay for every sin every creature would commit, past, present, and future. They were all imputed to him and judged in three hours. And when it was finished, he said, Tetelestai, paid in full. Why don't people get it? Why can't you stop talking about your sins? Why can't you stop talking about everybody else's sins? Why don't you get it that they're paid for and they should never be brought up again? Why don't you get it? Don't I say it enough? I say it every week. Why don't you get it? Why? Stop. It's done. He meant it. When he said paid in full, he meant it. He means everything he says in here. With God, there's no shifting shadow. He doesn't change. He's not kidding. But we can't get it. What is redemption? Uh Uh-oh. The four magic words. The forgiveness of sins. He loves us with no conditions. So no matter how we are, he digs us. He doesn't look at our errors ever. And when we fall, he picks us up and says, get back in the game, gives us a pat on the butt. Now, if unbelievers don't do that, I get it. If believers in Christ don't get that, I don't get it. So I kept asking, God, please help me understand this. Why do people do this? Why? I hate that question. Why? It's the worst question we ask ourselves. Why? I feel like Nancy Kerrigan. Why? 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 You remember Nancy Kerrigan? You know, she got her. You you should remember her. She's from uh, where you live. But she was a a figure skater. And she she had a good chance of winning the gold medal. And this, this chick, what was the chick's name? Tanya Harding had her boyfriend beat her with a, with a device to hurt her so she couldn't skate. Yeah. And when, she, when, he, when he hit her, you know, she's on the ground grabbing her leg, and she said, why, why, why? I don't blame her. You know, she had been working for 25 years to get to this point, and then she wasn't going to get a chance to skate. Well, she skated anyway. I think she won the bronze medal. But she probably would have won the gold. God informs us in his written word that there are three lifestyles available to live in this life. This is what God was sharing with me in thought. 
the sin life, the law life, and the freedom life. He rescued us from two of these lifestyles, this lifestyle sponsored by Satan and the kingdom of death and darkness, and he transferred us to a third by purchasing our sin contract with his blood. God purchased my sin contract with his blood. God purchased your sin contract with his blood. So will you please get off it about sins, yours, mine, and others. Get off it. As I stand in the pulpit and look at you, as I imagine you who are in the internet congregation all around the world in my mind, I can't even begin to imagine which of these lifestyles you're running. Are you running the sin lifestyle? Are you running the law lifestyle? Or are you running the freedom lifestyle? I don't know. Now, two of these lifestyles are offered by the ruler of this world, God's enemy, Satan. And why wouldn't it be that the master of confusion would give you choices because too many choices paralyze us? Satan offers you the sin life and the law life. God only offers you one life. Our almighty God gives us one life choice, the freedom life. And I erroneously assume that all of you who are believers in Christ are running the freedom life, especially those of you who... <laughs> have been studying here for over a decade. Just when I get comfortable with that assumption, God brings it to light that there are some Christians who are not living that life at all. Sooner or later, God will out you to yourself and to the world, and he will show you exactly the lifestyle you're running. Well, what is the sin life? My time in Roman Catholicism introduced this life. It portrays God as someone who is always disappointed with us. It contends that if we will just stop sinning, God will like us better. In the meantime, every time we sin, we are to confess our sins to a Roman Catholic priest. The priest gives us absolution from sin. He says, absolvete in Latin. This is the expression that, that outed Christi uh, Catholicism for me. Absolvete. The priest says, I absolve you. No, you don't. A, yeah, a priest, yeah, what you talk about, Willis? A priest, a human being, cannot absolve you from sin. There's one thing that absolves you from sin, the blood of Christ. You can't absolve you from sin. You can't redeem yourself. Nobody can clean up their own act. Thank you. Roman Catholic priests, for saying those Latin words to me. Absolvete. Thank you, Rory Clark, for taking six years of Latin so I would know that that was I absolve you. The priest gives us absolution from sin, allegedly freeing us from blame or guilt, because that's what absolution is supposed to do. And then right after that, we are to say meaningless, repetitious prayers to God, like the Hail Mary, or the Our Father, I thought Hail Mary was a pass in football. <laughs> Our Father, or the act of contrition. I promise to sin no more and to avoid the near occasion of sin, the act of contrition. A prayer to express our sorrow for sin that causes more guilt by making us promise to sin no more, which we don't. My conclusion after living this lifestyle, the sin life, 
for more than two decades is that I could not stop sinning. And I have yet to succeed at it. Nor have you. Evidently, it was quite a challenge for the best believer of all time as well. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, I, Paul, find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Romans chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says, For the good that I want to do, I do not do. Instead, I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. The tr- this truth doesn't stop some Christians, though, from thinking that one day they will be more acceptable to God if they stop sinning. What is the law life? It's a life of following the rules. My life in systematic theology introduced this life. When I left Roman Catholicism, I jumped out of its frying pan and into the fire of systematic theology. I contend, it contended that I could not stop sinning, but if I followed a simple set of rules, my sins would be more acceptable to God. Systematic theology contends that when you sin, you are out of fellowship with God. In fact, it contends that when you sin, God doesn't just dislike you. He abandons you. But when you identify the sin, admit the sin directly to God, removing the priest as the middleman, I like that idea, and forget the sin, moving on in the plan of God for your life, that God will rejoin you in fellowship. Only problem is you commit around 250 sins a day, so you're in and out, in and out, in and out. You're like a hamburger franchise. Amen? So... For three decades of my life, I not only believed this crap, I lived it. I taught it to you. And the result is, I couldn't stop breaking the rules, and neither could you. Go figure. All right. If I had only bothered to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 20, which says, The law came in alongside of sin so that law-breaking would increase. When you make rules, law-breaking increases. You can have anything in my refrigerator. You can have anything in my freezer. But do not touch the Snickers bar. Amen. Amen. (laughs) What's the first thing to go? The Snickers bar. Because when you make rules, they get broken immediately. The law came in alongside sin so that law-breaking would increase. But where sin, law-breaking increased, God's grace abounded, overflowing all the more. If I had just bothered to look at that verse, if I had just bothered to study the book of Romans, if I had just bothered to note that passage, because of the law, we break the law more. Not one Jew succeeded in keeping the Mosaic law ever except Jesus Christ. But I dedicated three decades of my life to being the exception to the rule. I was going to be the one who didn't break the law. But what does the Bible say? When you break one law in the law, you've broken the whole law. Why didn't I read that verse? Why didn't I study that passage? too much time in the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, too, many, too much time studying the doctrines of systematic theology. 
don't give me all this personal crap. Just give me the da da doctrine. Okay. What are you going to do with it? Once I give you the da 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 doctrine, what are you going to do with it? You're going to turn it into your God instead of worshiping Christ. That's what you're going to do with it. I failed at the law life. I can't stop breaking the rules. So for five decades, I tried to live the sin life and the law life, and I failed miserably. When's the last time you heard a pastor tell you that he failed miserably at something that was supposed to be Christianity? You don't hear pastors talking about that, because pastors are perfect. We're on a pedestal. We have this life up here, and you peons down there have a completely different life. Therefore, I can speak to these lifestyles as failures. I have failed to live these lifestyles. You will fail if you are living these lifestyles. I have never seen them succeed in anyone. For these are the lifestyles of unbelievers, and they are not fit lifestyles for believers in Christ. They are not the lifestyle that is proposed by God for believers in Christ. What then is the freedom life? When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll see what God has to say about the lifestyle that he offers. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history Has another blood 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. We're, we're living in a time where many people have lots of money, yet they are poor in heart and poor in spirit. They are spiritually bankrupt. Why? Because they don't study the Word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, the Lord gives us a command. He says, you shall generously give to the poor. And your heart shall not be grieved when you give, because for this thing, giving, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Your generosity is making it possible for people all over the world to hear the only message that is soothing to the soul, the Word of God. Keep on being generous, because God appreciates it. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with an insightful, powerful, and inspiring offering message.
on the auto. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That sounds really loud. Good morning. How's that sound? A little better? I think that sounds better. Can you hear it on the headphones? You can hear it. Okay, good. We're set. Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a world, worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And lately, it's, it's funny as we get into the, the holiday seasons, how everybody's focus has changed. And really, it hit me that it's kind of all year round. There's always another holiday to celebrate. There's always something else to just soak up your time and energy in life. And you know, you see Christians were, were told by God to do certain things, but we always, we either accept it or we reject it. And in life, there's so many choices we have to accept or reject things. And really, when we come to church or when we're told lessons by God, we're told things like, you know, you should go to face-to-face -face teaching at your church. Ah, eh, you know, I don't know. It's a long drive. I got to get up early. It's, you know, it, it kind of gets into my time in the morning, and I like to have my Sundays off, you know. Oh, but how about Halloween? Oh, sure, Halloween, that sounds great. I'll go and spend some time getting a costume. I'll, I'll go to a party. We'll walk around the whole neighborhood if we have to and get candy. You know, it's interesting. We have things like you should give the gospel to your family and your friends. Ah, you know, I don't know. I don't really like my family. Or, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna reject me or be angry at me. It's going to be a horrible time, you know. Oh, but... Thanksgiving, sure, let's get all together and hang out with our family that we don't really like or maybe we do care about and spend all this Thanksgiving time around them, thanking, thanking our, our, you know, them in our lives and all this stuff, but we don't have the time to give them the gospel. You know, we can't pull them aside and tell them something and privately go over it with them. You know, or how about at church? You should give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Well, I don't know, maybe just a little bit of my time, but not my talent and my treasure as well, you know, and then you have Christmas come along. Oh, hey, stop everything. Let's start buying presents. Let's give our time, our talent, and our treasure to Christmas, you know, to these gifts and totally forget what the meaning of the season is for. And it's real easy. We accept all these things of our lives, but we reject the truth in our lives. We reject the real things, that, the real rudder in our lives where we should be, you know, that we should be adjusting to, you know, adjust your life for God. No, I don't think so. That's my gym time. I already have it slotted there, and that's just when I like to work out. It's really easy to accept these things that help ourselves in the short term, but not the things that are eternal, you know. And how about you should, you know, give your unconditional love to others and live a life of freedom in that way. No, I'd rather live slavery in bondage to uh, rebound my whole life, go in and out of fellowship and judge others because maybe they're out of fellowship and treat them poorly. It's so easy to just accept these horrible things of Satan, you know, and, and why? What we see in, in the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when believers in Christ will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, wanting to have their ears tickled, 
they will seek out teachers in accordance with their own desires. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. And believers in Christ, believers in Christ, will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn their ears toward myths. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And we know Christmas isn't a myth, but it's taken over by the industries and all the media. And it's not about Christ anymore. It's about Santa and presents. And it's the you know giving. It's all about giving. Xmas. But we don't give the gospel. We don't give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we don't give to the people we care about. What's up with that? That should be the easy part. But it becomes the hard part. So that's why we give at the offering. This is your opportunity to give to Christ, to give to his ministry, and to support others, to support our pastor and this message around the world. And so we thank you for not having ears tickled and leaving. This is the place of truth. And the truth scares people. But it's also the freedom. And we know it's freedom. it would be the freedom that sets us, or it would be the truth that sets us free. So thank you for always giving and supporting this ministry and our pastor. Hit it, Don. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson. Some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Some Christians didn't get the unconditional love memo. Thanks for a great offering message, Deacon Denny. The Lord describes the freedom life in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says this, God the Father, 
rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his son, the son whom the father loves, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He describes the freedom life in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep on standing fast in the freedom, believers in Christ, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Do not be subject again to the sin life and the law life. Get out of it. He describes the freedom life in Romans chapter 16 verse, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6 verse 14 which says, sin shall not long any longer be a master, a lord over you, believers in Christ. For you, believers in Christ, are not under the law. You are under grace, the freedom life. I tear my clothes and I beat my breast. Oh, if I had only studied the Bible earlier, I could have saved myself years of misery. Yet likely I would have just found another way to ruin my life and to rob myself of joy. As believers in Christ, our inheritance is the freedom life. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul expresses the disappointment. I, Paul, am amazed, astonished, out of my mind that you Galatian believers are so quickly deserting God the Father who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You're abandoning God the Father and the grace of Christ, the true gospel, for a different gospel. What gospel? The gospel of legalism, the law life, adding works to faith. Your works added to faith? You, Galatians 1.7, which is really not another legitimate gospel, only there are false teachers who are disturbing you, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. False teachers want us to pay attention to the silliness of men, namely themselves. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, I am, for am I, Paul, now seeking the favor of men, or am I seeking the favor of God? Am I striving to please men? If, for the sake of argument, I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't bother to be a bondservant of Christ. If I want, do you think that I'm not a good enough salesperson to con people into thinking that I'm wonderful? I can do that. All I have to do is run a social media campaign. I tell you one one hundredth of my life and everything is all about how much fun I'm having. I used to do that too. I used to put up a lot of stuff on social media and people, when they talked to me, they made me an even bigger object than they make me already. You know, oh, well, I know, you know, Rory, I want to talk to you. I know you're in Hawaii right now and I know you're probably having fun and I know you're doing this and that. You don't know anything about me. But you put a, put a little bit on social media, you completely influence people's mindset to think that they know you somehow. There's nothing social about that lie called social media. It's anti-social media. It keeps people from getting to know you because you're just putting crap up there. You're putting up the thing you want people to see. You're tickling eyes. You're not telling the truth. You're not telling the truth about how this week you felt like you wanted to jump off a bridge. You don't post that. You don't tell the truth on social media. It's crazy. 
If I wanted to please men, I definitely wouldn't be teaching a lesson like this because this is not a people pleaser lesson. It is a rebuke. And a rebuke is a reprimand. And it comes through me from God. Are we abandoning the freedom life to hold each other to an impossible to accomplish sin-free life? Is that what we're trying to do? Are we looking at each other and saying, I'd like you a whole lot better if you didn't sin quite as much? Because it's a lie. You wouldn't like a person that you're holding to that standard any better. You'd just find new things to hate about them. And you know it. I'm one of those strange pastors, though, who think it's appropriate, in fact, critically imperative, to connect what we're learning in the Bible to our real-life experiences from the pulpit. That's why I have the pulpit to express from the pulpit. And of course, such an approach is personal. I ask you this. Have you ever been to your pastor's house? Do you have your pastor's phone number? Do you have your pastor's email address? I got some, uh, some notes from a person this week asking me about a problem in their life. But they go to another church. And I said, well, do you have that pastor's phone number? See, what had happened? No, honestly, do you have that pastor's phone number? No. Well, we were supposed to have dinner with him one time, but it didn't happen. Hmm, interesting. Well, we had dinner one time, and it did happen. Has your pastor ever let his guard down around you to show you that he is a human being with just as many or more flaws than you have? Have you ever confided in your pastor and told him deep, intimate, and personal things about your life? Is your pastor astute enough? to see the flaws in your life without you telling him? And is your pastor kind enough to love you unconditionally, even though there may be several reasons to judge your life? If you're working with me, the answer to those questions is yeah. See, I had a conversation with a new believer recently, and this person told me that marijuana smoking was a regular habit. And I was reflecting on this. Why would a person admit this to a pastor? I'm guessing that I create an atmosphere in a conversation where people can feel free to be themselves. And I forget quite often that I don't get the same privilege around some people. That's the way it should be, though. Remember when we st- what we studied in 1 Corinthians? A mature believer eating idle meat could cause an immature believer to stumble. So even though it's completely legitimate to eat some meat, A mature believer has to not do it so as not to harm an immature believer. Okay, I'm guilty of that. Maybe I'm myself a little bit too fast with immature believers. I'm guilty of it. A pastor must never let his guard down. And there have been many lessons I've learned the hard way, this being one of them, in the 22 years of this ministry. And this one is one of the hardest to swallow. So God gave me my rebuke. Letting your guard down will cost you with some. I pass this advice along to you personally. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you believers in Christ so foolish? That's Paul asking, are you guys stupid? Having begun the Christian way of living by faith through God the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected? sanctified, set apart for privileges by the flesh through your failed attempt to keep the works of the law? 
your self-righteous lifestyle? Is that perfecting you? I invite you to remember that God is calling you to the freedom life. I encourage you to exit the bondage of the lives Satan has to offer, the sin life and the law life, the darkness, the darkness that we've been called out of into the magnificent light. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 warn, What shall we believers in Christ say then face to face with all these things from Romans chapter 5? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Just because God's grace abounds where we sin, should we keep on sinning? Romans 6, 2, may it never be. Absolutely not. Ook, nope. Not no way, not no how. How shall we believers in Christ, the children of a king, who died to sin as an established fact at the moment of of our salvation because we died with Christ on the cross, because we're identified with everything that is associated with Christ, how shall we, who died to sin, still live as if sin is still our master? We don't. Simultaneously, we live our own lives and not the lives of others. Each person has an individual journey, and I'm pretty sure that journey will include a tour of Satan's offerings in the process of the journey. We'll try out the sin life. We'll try out the law life. Neither one of them will work. The lascivious life where we break all the rules. I can't tell you how many people feel comfortable letting their guard down with me, and when they find out that I'm a pastor, they always want to tell me about their lascivious life. Oh, man, when I was in college, I did drugs, I did sex, I did this, I did that. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff I've done. Yeah, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I also don't care that much. I don't need to know that from you telling me that you have done a lot of stupid stuff in your life. Don't need you to tell me. I already know. I just assume it when I meet you that you've done a lot of stupid stuff in your life. In your mind, out of your mouth, or actually. And you know what? I don't care. I'm not easily offended. And I don't know why you are if you study with this ministry. I don't know why you would be easily offended. So that's the lascivious life, where we sin and sin and sin and sin and sin. And then we feel guilty and guilty and guilty and guilty and wish we hadn't done it. And God's attitude toward us during all that, I love you unconditionally. I created you, and I'm completely satisfied with what I did. And I knew all this stuff was going to happen even when you didn't about a billion years ago. Why are you holding on to it? Why you keep talking about it? I paid for it at the cross. Why is it bothering you? And if you've had anybody who lived that life, you've got to hear their droning on and on about that life. Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up, and you're going to hear the same droning on and on about that life that you heard last year. Amen? Or the law life. People who think, well, I'm better than you because I don't do that particular sin. Ah, but what about this other sin that you do that I see? Let's ignore that. Let's just focus on your sin. That one-sided, legalistic, 
self-righteous, I'm the king of the universe life. Okay. Well, don't just take my advice. Take Michael Jackson's advice as well. In his song, The Man in the Mirror, he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. Na-na-na, na-na-na, na-na-na-na-na-na. Remember that song? If you start with the man in the mirror, you won't have time to look at anyone else. I recommend this. Take one piece of paper and write down everything you are doing in your life right now or everything you have done in your life prior to right now that would conceivably be disappointing to God if he didn't love us unconditionally. Now, only one piece of paper, though, because if you're old enough, your your writing would fill volumes as you consider the things you think, the things you say, and the things you do that are sins. And then, as soon as you finish that piece of paper, that one page, front and back perhaps, Remember this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sovereignty to sin and so that we might live to the standard of imputed righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Take that paper and burn it. And perhaps then you'll be unconditional in your love for yourself, first and foremost, and then when you get that right, in your love for others. The closing moments of our lesson today are dedicated to anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Did you know that the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wants to have an eternal relationship with you? What the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants you to know is that 13 words tell the story of how to be saved. The first word is God. There is only one God, as it says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other God. Besides me, there is no other God. The one and only God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. He is the one who wants to save you. The next word is mankind, a name for all of the Lord's human creatures. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord is the Creator, and the Lord created you. The next word is sin. All of us were born in a state of sin. Romans chapter 3 Verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says this, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one.
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this. All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's bad news for you. It's not your fault that you were born in a state of sin, but it is your circumstance. Sin is a barrier that keeps you from having a relationship with the Lord. As a result of being born in a state of sin, you need a Savior. So the next word is Jesus. The name above all names. The magnificent name. The God-man. The Christ. The Jewish Messiah. The Savior of the whole world. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, God the Father did not send God the Son into the world as the Lord to become Jesus, the Christ, to judge the world. But the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ is God, and he wants to save you. The next word is cross. The Lord Jesus Christ chose to become a sin substitute for you, by shedding his blood on a cross so you wouldn't have to die for your sins. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ humiliated himself for you by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. The Lord's Father, God the Father, participates in your salvation as well. John chapter 3 Verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave the uniquely born Son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ had you in mind personally by name as he hung from the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. And he has you personally in mind right this minute, as well. The next word is resurrection. Three days after Jesus Christ's crucifixion, he proved himself to be deity, just as he had told everyone, by being resurrected from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, an angel asks a question of two women who have come to anoint Jesus' body with spices on the third day after his crucifixion. The angel asked, Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Jesus is not here, but he has risen from the dead just as he predicted. Being resurrected from the dead separates Jesus Christ from all who pretend to be gods. The next word is salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 credits Jesus Christ with the salvation of the whole human race. It says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Accepting his work on your behalf at the cross saves you from an eternity in the lake of fire. The next word is grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation, and that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 9, Therefore being saved is not a result of works, deeds you have done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. A God who is full of grace 
provides your so great salvation free of charge. The next word is faith. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20 says this, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds, and of course you do, you will say to this mountain, which is any obstacle, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. God gives you the gift of faith to spend on your own salvation. The next word is repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise of salvation, as some accuse Him of. Instead, He is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of them to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of them to come to repentance. When you repent, you have a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message invites you to change your mind. The next word is righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin sacrifice on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with Christ Jesus. At the moment of salvation, God the Father makes us perfect. Righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. When you believe in Jesus Christ, absolute righteousness is credited to your account by a merciful God. The next word is truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who were paying attention to him, If you continue in my word, maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice, third class condition if, then you are truly disciples of mine. John chapter 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Thirteen words tell the story of how you can be saved. There is a God. He is the creator of all mankind, and sin separated mankind from having a relationship with him. Jesus, the Christ, saved the world by dying on a cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. His resurrection from the dead three days later proved that he is God. And as a result, you are offered a so great salvation, provided free of charge by means of God's grace, a salvation you cannot work for. And by spending your gift of faith, you can be saved. And when you repent, you change your mind about having a relationship with Christ, and God the Father credits His absolute righteousness to your account, a righteousness that is your admission ticket to heaven. When you know this truth, it will set you free from slavery and sin, to sin and from bondage to the law. The power of the 13 words can be summed up in just one word, believe. Acts 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. When you believe, you take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So use these 13 words that all boil down to one word, believe, to get on the Lord's team. Just take the Lord's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved, and you will be saved. Do it right now. All right, let's close with a song. In John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36, we get instruction from the Lord 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. John 8, 36, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Lord invites you to come to him, and so does June Murphy in her song, Calling You to Freedom.
Not if you ask me like that. No, I'm not. You don't have to yell at me. <laughs> Great song, June. Thank you. So the closing uh, doxology is words of praise to our God. Let's acknowledge the magnificence of our Almighty God. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38, For I, Paul, am convinced that neither life nor death, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, and fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, Romans 8.39, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for letting this be the final statement on this matter of turmoil in Barah Ministries. Thank you for helping us to see through taking us to Colossians exactly what's available for us to learn. Thank you for letting us know that the first century believers aren't the only believers who had difficulty, that we have these same difficulties today, perhaps even worse. And thank you for always having the solution in place long before we know we have the problem. Thank you for always helping us to overwhelmingly conquer every obstacle because we have the victory through your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit open our spiritual eyes to the truth. Let the Holy Spirit open our eyes to our own lifestyles. Let the Holy Spirit correct our lifestyles. And let that be the permanent correction, the only correction that can be done because it is supernatural. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for watching.